This is Currently Untitled, a podcast whose name will definitely be changing, probably by the next episode, with Noelle Smithart, Scott Consinity, and myself, Ryan Brules. Through our guests, interviews, and conversations, we'll explore a wide variety of topics that interest us and try to explore and champion our belief that everyone can be a teacher. In this, our pilot episode, Noelle and I sit around her kitchen table on a late October evening and take a wandering path through our origin stories, our experiences with creative expression, advocacy in healthcare, and more. If you have any feedback for us, let us know. Now let's get into it. Hey, I'm Ryan. Hey, I'm Noelle. <laughs> what are for, we doing? Uh, for years now, we've talked about doing a podcast for various different reasons and inspirations. We finally sat down here on October 24th to do it. Mm-hmm. 2022. 2022. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, thinking about where that is in time, maybe coming out of a pandemic. Mm. Um, definitely having some larger, deeper conversations in life everywhere. I feel like it's kind of universal and ubiquitous right now to talk about why we're doing what we're doing and mm-hmm. um, focusing energy on creative projects. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, for, for, for me, it's it's been both uh, a way of processing. I'm discovering that I process things through communication and I'm finally getting more into podcasts and love hearing other people's experiences through what they tell. Um, and I think this could be an interesting experiment for my own relationship to the crazy world around me. Absolutely. I am a podcast junkie (laughs) for sure. Um, and I love taking that journey, just really immersing myself in the world that two, I I, I love interview type podcasts where it's just two people having a conversation. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's one person just telling a good story. Mm. Um, but I find the conversations are the ones that I probably get the most out of. Um, and I enjoy conversation a lot. And uh, when I'm listening to a good podcast, I think about how I can sort of take that energy and put it out in the world. So, one thing that I know about you and have known about you for a long time is you love to facilitate those kind of conversations. And even as we've talked about this podcast, you know, you're you, you like to to put people together to have those kind of conversations. And I I very much see that manifesting here too. Yes. Um, I've been called a connector and I Mm. like that word a lot because I think making connections between people who have similar interests and passions, uh, who want to explore similar things can be a really, it's, it's really gratifying to see those connections happen. Mm. Um, and to see sort of the magic that happens like down the road when I'm long, it's long, a piece of history in that, in that relationship. Um, that's magical to me. When you've been removed from that conversation yes. and the conversation has continued on. Yes. Yes, I can I can see your your touch on well, a ton of people that I know actually in that way. <laughs> and that's yeah, it's something I'm curious um with my with my new work, I'm doing a lot more traveling and I'm curious if I can take it beyond I feel like I'm really good at connecting people in the like Seattle area um, where I am born and raised, but I'm curious if I can make that even more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be go bold and say global, but like as I meet people, moving through cities and stuff, like how can I continue to be a connector? Love that. Yeah. Well, let's. Um, I think we we talked a little bit earlier about origin stories. Yeah. That brought us to this microphone today. Uh, Ryan, who are we... you, and how did you get here? <laughs> <laughs> Such a huge question. <laughs> We're gonna cover that in our 
our first app. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, who am I? I am um, a 41-year-old resident of Seattle, uh, a giant technology nerd who has spent his whole life in technology in one way or another. So um, a, a experimenter, a creator, a builder, a hacker, uh, a burner. What's your burner name? Tinker. Tinker. Um, you know, which I think uh, when when that was gifted to me, it was it was very appropriate because you know from childhood I've taken things apart, I've put them back together, I've learned how they work, and I think that's just kind of my way of moving about the world is to to disassemble things to their requisite parts and then put them back together because that helps me learn it. And as a result, I am pretty mediocre at a lot of different things, uh, maybe a master of none. But... I relate to that so much. <laughs> Jack of all, Jane of all trades, yeah. master of none. But to me, that makes life more interesting and I'm okay with that. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I get so much out of the learning process doing that and I get I find so much creativity in that and I find once I sort of know how something kind of works that I can then use that to come up with my own sort of projects and creations and stuff like that I'm curious if you had examples of that as a kid were you oh hell yeah like like what's a good my, my like parents your, yeah, I was gonna lo- say do they have a story oh yeah they love the one where I I um, was trying to figure out how the the family VCR works yes and I did that by sticking like a kielbasa sausage from the, <laughs> from the refrigerator into the into the VCR to see if it would somehow I don't know make food. I don't I don't know what my rationale was there, but uh, my childhood was my family's house littered with things that were being taken apart or broken. <laughs> did they encourage that? Was that part of your sort of the the culture of your family? You know, it's funny my. Uh, I think I would have said yes anyway, but uh, for my dad's birthday, we got him this thing called StoryWorth. Cha-ching, StoryWorth, sponsor <laughs> for the podcast. We need not sponsors really. someday, maybe not. Um, and it's this, so, well, we can get into the rationale for it in, in a second, but basically, like, uh, every week he gets sent a question. Yes, I've um, seen this. I get this ad. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, it was probably exactly like a, an ad on, on Instagram or mm-hmm. something. And it's, it's, it's amazing because I've never, we'll get into the rationale a little bit. I've never been able to have this kind of conversation with my dad, especially like I feel he, to some extent, my mom always need to kind of put up the parental wall. Mm -hmm. I am a parent and that means I'm not vulnerable. I'm not sharing a lot of sort of the, the inner squishy details of my life. And so my dad, who turns out he loves to write it's this amazing prompt with all these like deep questions about his life. And so I'm actually learning a lot. The one last week actually was exactly that. It talked about like, you know, um, decisions you made with raising your kids or something like that. And, uh, and he said, you know, with Ryan, we found that he loved to, uh, to tinker and to, and to, to play with things. And we just, we just fostered that wherever we could. It's not just getting the computer, but giving him sort of things to play with and take apart and everything. And that was, that was very evident in the, uh, in, in the uh, the email that he wrote, it's super cool. Um, if there's a future iteration of this podcast where you can interview my brother Carter, mm. you have to ask him about his childhood and tinkering and taking things apart and putting mm. them back together. Because um, I feel like you, I've always like I'm, I'm so glad you two at least know each other these mm-hmm. days, and because um, uh, 
there's a lot of similarities and parallels there. <laughs> it's cool. Carter, you're next on the right? uh, on the interview list. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, and and you know, I, I would say that's the biggest thread for my life, and literally is probably the thing that has brought me here. Like, you know, it, it's the, just that journey of learning and uh, taking things apart in the world, and you know, experimenting. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and and you know, I'll add um, through some just you know traumatic events in my life that we've that that we've all had in our life but through my own um i've also developed uh, a vulnerability a self-awareness a um uh, spirituality even that i definitely never had when i look back 10 years ago that was something that was not cultivated and that was something Mm -hmm. that very much came from my own my own journey um here and through my own pain and and having to work through that pain you know was was the catalyst for that and i think that if if i had to like define the most important part of me now today it's that it's like i have that capability of of being able to like be that open and do my own self-introspection in a way that i kind of feel like i was you know maybe more bullheaded about or something or just ignorant of when i was in my 20s was um was your childhood sort of like a staunch atheist perspective or was there any sort of religious influence? My parents were very intentional about not introducing religion. Yeah. So my my dad was uh, grew up hardcore Catholic. My mom, uh, you know, kind of at the whims of her parents. I, you know, I think mostly Lutheran, but I don't know for sure. Um, and they both agreed right up front before I was born that they weren't going to introduce that. So very much had to be my own journey. Mm-hmm. Which I very much appreciate. I'm really glad that I was not injected with that. But I also think it did kind of leave a certain perspective out of my life uh, as it relates to spirituality that I just never, you know, I never cultivated on my own. How do you define spirituality? (laughs) It's loaded. Wow. Yeah. Maybe the best way that I can put it off the cuff here is I do feel and have always felt uh, a connection to something bigger than myself and I think that's you know I think a lot of people will word word things that way but mm-hmm. I, I can think as far back as when I was a kid looking up at the stars and just being like completely flabbergasted by just the the immensity that was above me mm-hmm. I felt something I felt connected to something and I think that's maybe um, building a relationship with whatever that greater thing is is maybe my best definition of my my spirituality so um, yeah I think I'll I'll say that's what brought me uh, here and now I will turn to you <laughs> and say what brought you to this Mike what's uh, who is who is Noel ah uh. I love how this question could be asked. Literally, the answer could change day to day, mm-hmm. month to month, year to year. Uh, but who I am today and how I want to frame it today. Uh, born and raised in the Seattle area uh, to a flight attendant and a pilot <laughs> um, who are both past now. And I feel like that's kind of an important piece of who I am now is is navigating the world without parents who are still living. Um, They both led really long and beautiful lives and left a legacy that uh, that I'm a part of, whatever that means. Um, 
I just talking about like spirituality and beliefs was raised in a pretty pretty Christian household. Mm. Um, and so I experienced a lot of those sort of like letting go of that. Um, actually got a degree in college uh, in theology, in urban ministry, because <laughs> I cared about humans and wanted to do, I don't know, do something good or give back or whatever. But then found myself super pushing away from religion, going towards more of an atheism, science uh, point of view, world perspective. Um, and then I feel like more recently I've sort of come back to some, whatever the vague, like wh- like what is that hybrid between atheism and spirituality? Mm-hmm. Um, listen to a lot of like Sam Harris and mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, those perspectives in the world. Um, I feel like my career, career path I'm I'm putting air quotes around that has been kind of all over the place um but I like to I like to think about that sometimes and reflect on it um my I mean my first paying job was I was an elf at the Space Needle oh so cool um my sister (laughs) so want photos (laughs) they do exist um I was a yeah my sister worked at the Space Needle for a really long time and can make a lot of puns about going up and down um she was an elevator (laughs) operator <clears throat> and told that story about all the facts, which now is probably recorded. I actually haven't been on the elevator for a while, but um, she, yeah, she she connected my family with that part-time job. So anyway, things to note, that included costumes mm-hmm. and uh, working with the public and being kind of part of an event. So those have been themes. Um, How old were you? Teenager, you high school. I don't remember, maybe 16. Okay. Um, you know, other first paying job around that same, like maybe the next year was a soccer ref. And then I worked with a neighbor who was a financial consultant for some time, got a lot of my sort of more administrative skills there, but hated that world and knew that I wasn't motivated by money in and of itself. So while I, I get that there are people who are drawn to that and there's, you know, the equations of trying to figure out how to make more money out of the money you have that that wasn't a motivator for Not me. Yours. So then I left that and did some like different um, promotions work, brand ambassador kind of stuff where I would go to like Mariners games and summer nights at the pier back when that was a thing and uh, promote different brands, um, which is ironic. Not ironic, but I now work with people who basically do that work for the company that I currently work for. Mm. So it's come full, come full circle. Um, when I was in college, I became a birthday party clown. I think you know this Again. about me. I feel like that is a... Costumes, people, costumes, creativity. People, creativity. Um, uh, people were very, very surprised that I did this because I was painfully shy as a kid. Uh, hmm. They they were... It, it didn't seem on brand for me. Um, but I think I was always one of those shy kids who deep down was an extrovert. And clowning actually gave me this whole... Um, like, a, and, like, you can't be a shy clown. Do you think that's how you came to it? Came to that work? I came to no. Would... I came to that work because I opened the Seattle Times classified ads. Went back when it was a paper listed <laughs> in the in the, in the I've heard of those, physical yeah. paper, sure. and I was looking for a summer job. And I remember seeing Clowns Unlimited fourteen dollars an hour to be a face painter, and I was like, "That's." I mean, this was in the late nineties. Minimum wage was five six dollars mm-hmm. um that is currently now maybe minimum wage actually minimum wage is more than that right so 
Um, so it was, yeah, it was decent money. It was short hours, but decent money. And I was convinced that I was a terrible artist. Um, that's a whole thing we can get into. But uh, so I, I remember like my interview was to paint some small little doodles that would en- end up potentially being what I would draw on kids' faces. And um, I did that and they, it, I think they were more looking for like, could I interact with humans on a, on a, on a good, good mm-hmm. level? So I did that for a summer. And then I met all these clowns and thought that their lives sounded really cool. Uh, they knew how to do magic tricks and twist balloon animals. And um, so I went, so yeah, I, I was a birthday party, birthday party clown and like corporate event clown for um, about five years during college, which was great because it was summer work and weekend work. Um, and then I worked... Uh, in marketing, I mean, then uh, it literally kind of happened this quickly, but I worked in marketing for Vulcan mm-hmm. uh, Real Estate when they were developing South Lake Union neighborhood, and that gets into how we met. Mm-hmm. And uh, skipping a jump there for about you know ten years and putting on the South Lake Union block party and all of that. Um, there was a point where I heard that Paul wanted to put on a music festival upstream, and. That was a something that I, I really wanted to do. And when I found out I could join that team, there was no hesitation. So switched switched departments and went over and joined that team. And then eventually um, we were we became a department that ran that and the Seattle Art Fair, Cinerama, Living Community Museum, and Flying Heritage Collection. And that was uh, in many ways a dream job. <laughs> and it was an awesome time of building that team and kind of figuring out ways that we could streamline things and create efficiencies. And then Paul passed away and then COVID hit. And that no longer made sense. But I got, I had a really long, awesome experience there. Um, what, what was it about that thread? I mean, it's obviously you were in some way contributing to putting creativity into the community. Yes. Is that what it, you know, was that what it was for you? Yes. There was a lot of problem solving. Um, there was a lot of, we were building a team and I loved the dynamics of figuring out like how we could all work better together. Mm-hmm. Um, those were really cool projects. <laughs> like the Seattle Art Fair transformed the way that I see art in a lot of ways. Um, I loved the juxtaposition of that and Burning Man and like having these, this like super high end art that I would experience a few weeks before going to this, what some may call lowbrow, but like interactive <laughs> please touch the art art. And um, I remember at one point being like, wait, what if I go to Seattle Art Fair with a burner attitude of I'm just here to explore and I'm not, I don't, I don't have the, you know, the pocketbook to purchase this art, but I can go and just really have an experience when I, when I'm here. And I love film. So Cinerama was magical and we would do like our 70 millimeter festival and Oh, yeah. It just, you know, it was just like a really cool portfolio of projects. I grew up with computers being an active part of my life. I think you had a similar childhood. Mm-hmm. My brother ran a bulletin board service. Yeah. I played a lot of um, Sierra. Definitely interviewing Carter. Yes. I played a lot of Sierra online games. <laughs> if you know, uh, Roberta Williams was a hero. I actually, when going through family things, found a letter that I wrote to her. Oh my gosh. Circa 1994 or something Amazing. like that. So I'm like, Star Trek, X-Files, and Sierra Online. <laughs> that was my nerddom. And I want. I, I was a letter to say I wanted to work for her. And I, I actually, I read that and I was like, oh, this was real. I kind of thought that maybe I wanted to work for them, but I'd forgotten. I literally wrote a letter. Never sent it, but 
such as life. But but was a uh, a predictor of things to come. I think if not, you know, directly with her, maybe the type of work you wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, I I loved the storylines that those that those specifically the Sierra Online portfolio, whatever those games had. I'm not a huge gamer, but I loved those games. Um, anyway, I, that could be a whole. <laughs> I could talk about King's Quest. And did you ever play Gabriel Knight? Um, uh, this will be a yeah. Yeah. Future podcast episode. <laughs> Just talking about Sierra, Sierra yeah. Online. Anyway, and X-Files and Star Trek are both things I could also talk about at length. But especially <laughs> Star Trek, we already know that about each other. Stay tuned for our Star Trek podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, back to, yeah, so Living Computers Museum and being able to literally sit there and be on a physical computer that these amazing engineers who were some of the original, like OG engineers mm. had brought back to life and we could sit there and play Oregon Trail that place is, was, whatever the future yeah. may be, magical. Um, anyway, then COVID happened. So we'll, we'll just jump to that point in my life origin story. COVID happened, and my mom was going through health issues. My dad passed away about, you know, 12 years prior. And, um, yeah, so let's see. Should we moved her into assisted living just before? Yep, just before COVID. She had loss of mental uh like her ability to remember things was starting to happen which is partly why we moved her she had um vision loss was nearly blind uh she had kidney failure starting to happen and eventually went on dialysis and going off of it was was ultimately how she passed away and in the middle of a pandemic she got a she she felt a, a lump in her breast and she got breast cancer and i took her to radiation appointments every day for the month of February 2021. And I say this because of your sharing about StoryWorth. Um, somewhere around that time, I was having a very introspective, I'm unemployed, living at the house that I grew up in, mm. going through a maybe hoarder's worth of stuff, uh, who was also blind and losing her ability to remember things. So a combination of those things, it was a lot. It was 42 years worth of family memories that she'd been keeping. And very, just a very intense, intense time for me. And I, I saw a tweet somewhere that was shared on something because I don't actually really spend time on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But it was someone who had gone and had a list of questions that they asked their father in his final whatever years, months. And I went and I looked that up and I printed it out. And when I was taking her to these appointments, I would, they were very short. Radiation's super short and sweet uh in a way but it was it was scary and intense like i'd pick her up it's during a pandemic and i'd pick her up at the the assisted facility she was living in and i would take her to these appointments and they were so quick but she would like not want to be away from me because she couldn't see she didn't know why we were there it was very confusing the technicians this was at valley medical in in renton part of uw medicine whatever mm -hmm. they were amazing they like were so sweet and kind and understood her situation and like but, and she'd be gone for five minutes, but in five minutes, she'd forget why she was there, right? right so it was this right. very intense emotional experience. Right. For both of you. For both of us. Yes. And so then, and she was in a wheelchair and whatnot. So I, she, we'd go back to the car and she would always want to spend more time with me, but I couldn't go to the assisted living place because of fucking COVID. So we would go to a Starbucks because I could order online and pick up because, you know, pandemic, don't want to 
spend time in a coffee shop either. And we'd sit in the cold car. It's February. Some of the days I remember it was actually snowing outside. And I would start to record just on my phone these questions. And it ended up being this incredibly powerful, um, just a powerful record of her life. And also fascinating for anyone who's dealt with anyone who's had memory loss. Like Mm. that it's usually the more recent memories that go. And when you ask about their childhood, they light up and can tell you details oh that you would gosh. Wow. so it was a, so powerful yeah but but and I, I i wanted to get to that point in the story because i think it's what you're doing with your dad is really important and i wish i could have done that like at a sooner point with Earlier. my mom um what was, I, was this uh did it was it a connecting moment for her too or or was it was, <laughs> was it storytelling for her or was it you know sort of more a, a it, rote response to your questions. That's such a great question. Um, it would depend on her her headspace and mood. And I think sometimes if I'd ask her a question and she couldn't remember the thing, that was frustrating. Mm. So then she would kind of be like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was exhausting. But if I asked her a question and she did remember, I mean, she would just kind of light up and then tell me more about it. So my mom grew up on a farm in South Dakota and like, her childhood was just very different than most people I know. And I, I, it was really beautiful. Like in her final weeks, uh, her little sister, my Aunt Marcia, was able to come in to town and stay with her. And we were able to get, as soon as you go into hospice, then the COVID rolls don't apply. So we were actually able to go visit her in, oh, her, wow. in her place. Um, and it was really powerful to ask her questions about, there's this game that they used to play. And I'd heard about it, but it was so cool to hear the two of them bouncing off of each other. Because, again, these memories from childhood, clear as day, just can't remember what I told her, you know, five minutes ago. And um, it was like this, this, okay, oh, I wish I could remember the name of it right now. But they basically took a bunch of random buttons, and the button, they would, like, organize them, and then the buttons were all representative of, like, families. It mm-hmm. kind of reminded me of the, of the game of life. It was stripped down and just piles of buttons played with whatever supplies probably oh, you know and i remember yes and it was it was definitely buttons and it was called change time and apparently what i didn't know about it so my mom had told me about this game while i was growing up what i didn't know about it was it was this epic game that lasted like weeks and they would have it set up somewhere and then they'd be doing whatever else milking the cows helping their mom with the dishes whatever and then they would shout out change time that was the name of the game that they made up fully because there's no other sources of entertainment <laughs> on a remote farm in South Dakota. Um, and they would go and they'd like move the buttons so the buttons represented like older kids or something. I mean, it was like a whole intricate thing that they had created. Wow. And I loved hearing about the simplicity and the analog nature of that type of a, like how we occupy our brains before screens and phones and games and all. Social media. All and of that. What everyone else is doing with their yeah. life. Including in South Dakota. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, I can talk a lot more about both of my parents because um, they both led pretty fascinating and awesome lives. Um, but yeah, so she passed away in May of 2021. I worked for a local Seattle-based production company, had some awesome clients, um, really great experiences there. And then a couple months ago, learned about this company. I kind of knew that they existed, but that creates phone-free experiences. And when I heard a 
former and current colleague of mine talk about it, I was like, I got to go do this, mm-hmm. this, this traveling right now thing. So my mom was a flight attendant and traveled the world. And then when she was older and had health issues the last decade or so, I didn't feel like I could really leave the Seattle area. I felt like I needed to be close to home and close to her. Um, and I have no regrets in that. But now that she's gone, I feel like I can travel the world. So. And this really gave you this opportunity to do it. Yeah. So this is the chapter of life that you are in, yes. is, is travel and experience. And even we were talking earlier, you know, meet people, connect people globally. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. Let's think big. Something you said stuck out. And since this is a no tangents podcast, let's just go into it. <laughs> yeah. Why we both found or are finding value in collecting stories and memories from our parents and I I heard a quote not all that long ago about um, basically no one is forgotten as long as their memories carry on right whether whether it be recorded whether it be written um, and if they're not you know people disappear into into history as most of us do so what is that for us why are we doing that that's a question I'm posing to, to both of us that I am also thinking of the answer to. Yeah, I don't have the answer, but I, it's interesting. I feel like I feel like no one I knew was talking about ancestors like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I've just been more attuned to that kind of thing or I've met people that are just also jumping in. But um, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I do feel like for me personally, really big generation gaps. Like my mom had me at 40. Her mom had her at 40. So, like, all of a sudden we're in the late 1800s and when we're going back a generation before that. And I don't know. I don't know my own ancestry. And I, you know, they, there are theories. People think that they're literally like cellular genetic things that get passed down. We know something, we know something happens. We don't necessarily have the language to We don't know the character of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious what those things are. And I feel like people have some pretty profound stories anecdotally that I've heard that like make me just really wonder, like what is it about what our parents, grandparents, great grandparents did and went through? Mm-hmm. Um, quick tangent. Yeah. Um, I recently uncovered a photo of my great grandmother and great great grandmother taken in 1890. Oh my gosh. And on the back of it, my Aunt Marcia, who now you're familiar with, uh, wrote on it. She's like, hey, I found this photo. And they worked at the Palmer Hotel or Palmer House Hotel in Chicago. And so I'm going to Chicago next month. And I found <laughs> out that not only is this hotel, it is run by Hilton. And I'm going to stay there. And I'm going to go to a place and stay in a place that I have a maternal, like, grandmother, grand whatever, connection to. And that's, I don't know, I'm, like, I don't have a lot of those types of experiences. Wow. I think some, when you have shorter generation gaps, it's easier to, easier to sort of go up that lineage. Yeah, and, or, or history has been documented in more modern forms or right. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. So... I don't, I, I don't know about the stories, but I do think history repeats itself. We are, you know, we, we all don't want to be like our parents, but we know we're going to be like our parents <laughs> and just like, what is it about them? What's the essence yeah. that they pass on? No, I think that's exactly right. I think 
Um, well, uh, you know, part of me, I, I kind of mentioned earlier, like the, the connection I've had with my parents, I've, I've craved as my own individual connection to myself has become a lot deeper and therefore the connections that I have with my friends and, and, and other family members, um, I've craved that same depth and vulnerability with my parents that I have just very much struggled to get. It's some, it's a, it's a really, it's a key theme of the last few years. And I've cycled between, um, frustration about that because, you know, I want, I want them to join me on this journey and why can't you? And, you know, so I'm frustrated and angry. And then, you know, and then I ponder that a little more and realize, well, this is my journey and this is not, you know, it doesn't have to be theirs. And I, and I, and I, I think it'll be a much more peaceful existence for me if I meet them where they are, right? Mm. But I still crave this sort of connection like that. And I think mm -hmm. that's kind of how, I think of kind of how it started and why I sent my dad this, this story worth thing. He, he's, he's a prolific blogger about his travels. And I said, mm. okay, so he, you know, maybe he'll, he'll want to write about his life a little bit. As he's been writing those stories and as my mom has like colored in some of the um, details of those stories I'm realizing well no part of it subconsciously was me going like I know I'm related to these people right. I know that some of the things that I do and act some of the ways that I act and some of the the, uh, the things that drive me have come from these people mm -hmm. and every time I read one of these things I'm like oh mm. <laughs> I see some of that or or wow it's so interesting that that is different than my dad and why and um, you know, it's been, it's helped me think a lot more about just my own state of being and maybe, and maybe help answer why I do some of the things that I do and why Absolutely. I feel some of the things that I feel. It's been really interesting. I haven't told him that, but, um, it's been valuable in that way and I kind of didn't expect it. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, you're reminding me of, so a lot of this unearthing of stuff included mm. finding like old love letters that my mom sent my dad and there is this tone in them where i'm like oh our brains and our hearts were built really similarly <laughs> um and it's probably so i am more recently i would say i self-diagnose is probably adhd mm. um and hyperfixation is a real thing mm. and like when i'm feeling a person crushing on them whatever like i really it's intense mm. it's a hyperfixation, and i know that about myself and i know i have other things to put my energy toward and um the awareness of it i can like be like okay calm down they're just another human it's all good but like i'm reading some of her, and i don't know i don't know and i wish i could like i wish i could ask her right but like okay this letter seems like you were really feeling hyperfixated potentially strong feelings yeah wow um, yeah, it's just, it was interesting to read, read kind of the way she like wrote these letters and like what her self-awareness was. And I don't know, like she, I had a really profound com conversation with her. One of these interviews that I, that I did in the car where, <sighs> now I'm trying to remember, anyway, it might not have been in, in that exact context, but where I was saying something and she was like, she commented on how, on how wise I was and that maybe my wisdom was beyond what she had had at some point or something. And I was like, damn, that is, <laughs> that's an intense thing to hear from your mom no, because you look at your mom, you know, you look at parental figures as having all the wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I do think our culture in general, and I think, you know, you and I have had sort of this conversation, but like there's a lot of awareness, self-awareness, focus on meditation, um, and maybe we're just in bubbles where we're gifted with that. But um, yeah, anyway, sorry, I feel like went on a couple tangents. For no, that that's, one, so. I really, I really think there's should be a no tangent rule. Yeah. <laughs> no such thing as a tangent. No such thing. As, yeah. All tangents are welcome. I think, uh, I think that that bit about sort of your parents being the wise one, having all the answers and everything. I mean, that was one of the more jarring transitions that I'm sure it is for everyone and like realizing that my parents are actually frail humans mm. and like the rest of us and no, they don't have all the answers and that, that, that did give me a lot more empathy for where they are, you know, and their behaviors and that, you know, that all got built up over, over decades and things like that. But that's, um, I don't know. I don't know if it is our bubble or not, but I, I feel like that's a gift that most people don't get. Yeah. I feel like you are sort of, uh, as a person, you are identified by all of your behaviors and faults and, and often not asked or, 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 um, observed for why those came to be or what, mm. you know, what comes up when those, uh, those behaviors happen, which is sad to me. <laughs> like we're, we're a product of, of so many things. And I, I, that's maybe part of the reason it's fun to have these conversations because you kind of get to, uh, speak about what drives you and not just the thing at the end that is the reaction or the behavior or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, like I, I had never thought about ancestral trauma, mm. and that's a phrase I feel like is used fairly liberally these days, and and it's real. Like all of us, I mean, everyone has had some sort of trauma, right? Totally. And like the idea that that can be imprinted on like a genetic level, and you know, it sound it, it's one of those things that I think would have sounded really woo woo to me at some point, like definitely what it was passed down what yeah. things aren't passed down and then you're like wait genetics are passed down my niece looks a lot like i did at her age and that's not my kid like but oh wait there's genetics yeah. involved and like yeah. how does that just what what else is there that's imprinted that's not just the things that we like learned in school about you it, know? it's taking the conversation of nature versus nurture to like this totally you know more spiritual level right yeah and, uh, i think yeah you, i mean you said it you know at one point i would have half the, the shit that i say these days <laughs> i would have, would have been so far on the woo spectrum to even yeah. my, even my 32 year old self like you know much less the the 41 um and i'm really grateful for that and i think it is i think it is generational i think our generation in general is doing more of that mm -hmm. um and I don't know, maybe, maybe we're all bullshitting ourselves and maybe, maybe it's just our own ver ver generational navel gazing, but it, it feels, <laughs> it feels powerful. It does. I mean, it, 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 it feels like it's given people tools that I don't see that my parents had for, for answering questions about themselves and certainly not their, their parents. Like I, I feel like religion played a big role in answering questions that were left unanswered. So you kind of like, cool, like. God's got the answer for that. Right. And we were encouraged not to ask those questions. Totally. And yet you were still, I imagine, living with the feelings and even living with the questions, but you why certainly I, couldn't ask. Why was I so drawn to shows like X-Files and Star Trek? Because <laughs> the truth is out there and we're going to boldly go where no one exactly. has gone before. Like, 
exactly. There is the mystery of the universe is compelling. I do hope. Uh, I do hope that it is not generational navel gazing. That like that yeah. that that this leads us to um, to something. I don't even want to say better. Just mm. maybe more. Um, more connected. I mean, if we go if we go back to this conversation about you know a, a higher. I don't want to say higher power because it just has too many connotations, but yeah. a connection, a, yeah. a higher level connection. I between like the word people. connection a lot with us. Yeah. Um, and we, we recently read a book uh, that a friend recommended to us called um, uh, The More Beautiful World That Our Hearts Know Is Possible. I see you looking over like it's uh, on your bookshelf. Yeah. No, I definitely bought that after I saw you. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm, but I haven't finished it. I've been kind of like wanting to just read a little chunk at a time, mm -hmm. but which have... is, by the way, a great book for that. Like it, it, it very much can lend itself to the the chapters, right? Yeah, I felt like it's not one I want to like speed read through and then forget. Um, but yeah, and please, it, and it, well, and it talks on. about that, you know, that that um, the the elevation, the the like, you know, that that we can be on a journey to something that is more meaningful and more yeah. connected and more heartfelt and more vulnerable. And that that can lead, you know, uh, us in these very privileged roles that we have as humans into into something that's, you know, maybe shying away from a lot of the, um, the toxicity that we see yeah. now. You know that that, um, and I'm absolutely butchering his his yeah. words, but it, it brings like a, uh, we, we're bringing a lot of this like toxicity and uncomfortableness right now because we i think are in this transition into yes. into something new and it's painful change is very hard especially at the spiritual level yeah i need i need to i need to finish the book and then maybe that's a future podcast right there we should definitely get other people to to also read it yes and make a little book club ish thing yes, out of it absolutely. but um the little bit i've read of it so far makes me think a lot about my own language and uh, mindset, I would say, around like coming out of scarcity and into abundance, mm. yes. coming out of competition and into collaboration. Um, I'd say those are probably two of the bigger themes, but like we're not, no one needs to fear me competing with them. Mm. And I don't want to fear people in my life competing with me. Mm. We're all wanting to create a better world. And I, I love that mindset. And then and that, that really is closely related to the scarcity abundance, right? Like when things feel scarce, we want to hold on really tight and grasp onto things that maybe we don't need to grasp onto. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, they're like, I don't know. It's, it's funny because there's totally like, you could totally go religious themes with this, but it's Jesus making more fish and <laughs> wine out of water and all that. But like, I, fe I feel like there are, Historically, there are times where you're like, people really come together in times of strife and figure shit out and yeah, absolutely make things can be abundant. And I believe I just I do. I believe that love is abundant. I believe that that our resources can be abundant. Um, but you have to come out of the ooh, we got to like factory farm for the masses mm, and mm. like figure out how to like take things more local and scale them in a way. Oh, and, and you said you just said it too. That I mean, we have this evidence in crisis hmm. when oh, we just get these glimpses of something that is better. Like we all reflect on our generation, we'll reflect back to nine eleven or the numerous natural disasters that have uh, forsaken our world since. But mm -hmm. when we think about those moments, we think about 
what it felt like when we were all together, like focused on something in those brief yeah. few days where it was togetherness and it was care and it was, it didn't matter like who you were, what color you were, what background, like we, we, we generally, I think the majority of us really came together yeah. and then it all goes away. Then we go back to our I, old habits. So one of my favorite podcasters of the moment is this guy, Coleman Hughes. And if you don't know him, He's great because um, he tends so he tends to be a more centrist and he probably would hate that word point of view. Um, but as like this black African-American, whatever philosopher that went to Columbia. Mm-hmm. So like and Juilliard, I think I think I, I'm probably butchering his his resume, but it's OK. We'll edit it out. Yeah. So. <laughs> he has this there's just really like refreshing perspectives um, kind of counter to a lot of the like more. um I hate the word extreme for left because I don't think it's extreme. I think it makes sense where we're at. But when you go as far left as you can and then you're like, ooh, hold your horses. Let's come back a little bit more to the center and try to find where we can like actually have the conversation and like right. bridge bridge the gaps between different, different viewpoints. Um, he taught... Oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh-oh. We can edit. We can edit. We can edit. Okay. Um, what were we just talking about? Well, we were talking about the sort of like transition oh. of people. Oh, did it work? Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, he. That never works. Wait, 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 wait. So wait. wait. I have to get, I still have to get the, the full thought back together. So he talks about, and I know we can edit this. We can just, this is the chunk we edit out. Because yep. um, <laughs> everything was flowing <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, oh, COVID. I was like, which natural thing yes. was it? Great. So he talks about how in the first few weeks after COVID was becoming a thing, right? Early 2020, there was this moment of this might be the thing. This might be the thing that we yes. all unite. Yes. The whole world unites. And I remember having that little burning feeling in my belly of like, this could be the thing. Oh, we're, yeah, we're all in this together, literally yeah. across the world. Uh, those were the weeks of the uh, of the the music being played yes. on balconies yes. and all the like the happy hours with family members that we hadn't talked to for years yeah. and the uh, you know the just celebration and the music and like all of that to just sort of bring light back into this dark situation that we had and it absolutely it felt like this, could this be catalyst thing. moment yeah this and, is it, what and it was going on for weeks uh, yeah. instead of what I perceive is typically days after these sort of disasters or something like, maybe this is it. Yeah. And then it got politicized (sighs) on both sides and, and things even flip flopped on like which side you were or weren't on and do you wear a mask and do you not? And you vaccinate and do you not? And all of that. And yeah. And it, it just, as much as it there, anyway, there's good arguments on both sides for why to politicize it. I also feel like that it ruined this opportunity yeah. for us actually to come together and try to be like, cool, what is the solution? And but, even even if you take away, I think the the political, the very the very real politi- uh, political political <laughs> politicization of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, I think, the 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 large wheels of capitalism also came back in and it became more about like well how are we going to work in this environment and like and, and, and i think scarcity, that's let's... a hugely important conversation like i think work has changed forever but i yes. think because 
it came back to this like that's nice how are we going to make more money how are we going to like you know uh, turn this into a, a business opportunity like mm-hmm. that also happened sort of in parallel with the the politics and, yeah. and maybe those things are hopelessly intertwined i don't know well and definitely you had evidence of the the scarcity mindset right with like shelves being you know who oh. needs that much toilet paper and who needs that much hand sanitizer and <laughs> right. all that right uh it's it's weird it's weird to be when we're going on I'd say we're closer to three years out of it than not, yeah. or three years since the beginning of it, which really, I mean, historically is not that much time, mm-hmm. but it's like we've lived this weird time warped lifetime in those three years. Absolutely. And I love how that is a universal thing is time feels all weird and messed mm-hmm. up since since the start of COVID. I think the uh, this awkwardness and and uncomfortableness that we feel in as we're going back to these sort of these habits well i mean actually you kind of you kind of described this earlier about podcast watch out it all comes back together here like you said that uh you know you don't necessarily like take all your notes from podcasts or anything like that or you don't necessarily like you know have to uh, retain every single bit mm-hmm. of a podcast, but the fact is, you listen to them a lot. You are influenced by them, and your life has probably shifted as a result. Completely, yes. In in subtle ways, in the moment, in Some probably huge, ways. huge ways. Yeah. You know, in the in, in the Huberman, in the large scale. Andrew Huberman, yeah. Huberman Lab, has changed the way that I do my morning routines, and I will probably never not go outside and see the sunshine every morning, as a goal. Note to self: Go out and see the sunshine every morning. Okay. Um, uh, I can if you anyway yes and listen to his <laughs> but, reasoning but, but I, yeah. I I hope or I think I think I, I think I think this is true I hope that these changes that we're undergoing as it relates to time as it relates to work as it relates to to uh, the the numerous families that were able to spend time with their uh, loved ones and pets and stuff like that mm-hmm. in a way that they never did when they were commuting to the office like uh, in in the way that we had those weeks of connection i hope and i think that this is part of that transition that we will mm-hmm. remember those things that will be part of our uh our cultural memory and that eventually we incorporate those into something better yeah. different it's, bigger i hope absolutely i'm i'm with you i'm also a perpetual optimist so yes, that's helpful yes you are <laughs> <laughs> um i think a lot about how the timing of covid with where we are as a society and the flatness of communication, the fact that everyone can communicate through, Mm. whether it's Zoom or social media or WhatsApp or Marco Polo or whatever, all of these different tools that we have because of technology, um, that like, like how the fact that we can, you know, survey global markets and the impact that COVID had on them, the fact that we can have these reflective conversations that we're listening to in the moment on podcasts, the fact that, I mean, it, it goes on and on, but like this wouldn't have happened in prior pandemics. And part of me, I've always had that feeling and I'm, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I've always had that feeling that like we need some, we need some big disasters. Mm. <laughs> and I, and that sounds morbid and I'm not morbid, but like, or pessimistic or whatever, but like, I, like we need those things to sort of be catalysts for growth and change. For change. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I know we 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 don't want to turn this into a political podcast because it's you know it's it's just a hateful place to live these mm-hmm. days. But mm-hmm. I think there's an argument to say that we're all feeling 
disheveled, broken by the current political climate. And, and I think there's a good argument to be made for it's going to take some sort of disaster, some sort of like major catalyst, violent or otherwise, that, that will hopefully then take us out of it. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I wish we didn't need those <laughs> moments. Yeah. We seem to need those moments. Yeah, it's just how do you get out of it's so polarized. And even when you relate a lot to one side or the other, um, you you see that the polarization isn't sustainable. Right. Like we can't be so divided. I feel unable to have a conversation, quote unquote, across the aisle yeah. anymore in a way that was not true even no. five years ago. Yeah. I mean, certainly 10. You know, I, I feel like I could at least incorporate, I could at least even here in my own language other other worldviews and now in a, in a way that I can't like it's almost untranslatable in some ways totally totally do you do you watch the news or pay attention to the news a lot I do not I had this conversation with my parents who are religious devotees to the 6 p.m. news on right. Como or whatever yep. the channel yep. is no I get um, it's not even like part of my morning scrolling habits like i get notifications as we all do of like breaking news events and sometimes i care about those sometimes i let them fly by um i and i regret this daily like got back on twitter about a year ago and so when i'm on twitter i am usually up to speed on on some conversations like and, and i'm very mindful that those are probably within the the, the twitter um uh, echo chamber but that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a willful choice. And I think that I'm, put it this way, I don't feel like I've lost anything in the world and I don't know how to process that. I don't know what that means, but it, I don't feel like I lack it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I, so my degree was in journalism. Mm. My minor was in ministry. My degree was in <laughs> journalism. And I thought, I mean, I thought I wanted to be the next like Barbara Walters or whoever. Um, I really thought that, that was the direction I wanted to go because I feel, I do feel strongly about how important storytelling is. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I think Columbine happened when I was in school, uh, at, in, in college, getting that degree. And that was, I think, the beginning of, you know, seeing the way that our news cycle tells these stories. Oh, interesting, um, yeah. And, you know, makes a hero out of the bad guy and all of that. And that's, I don't think that that's healthy for our culture. Um, I, yeah, I remember like really feeling the if it bleeds, it leads conversation and thinking, I mean, and not even, I wasn't even tying it to advertise, advertising dollars at that point. At the time. Mm -hmm. But now that's all I see is mm -hmm. like, I think the news is so driven on advertising dollars and like, it doesn't mean that there's not some pieces of content that might be worth having a conversation about, but I wrote a po I wrote a poem kind of reflection thing after one of the many, many, many mass shootings that was like, whoa, it, it, the, the intention of it, maybe I'll share it on a future podcast, the actual poem, but like, was like, let's, the intention was like, let's pause mm -hmm. and realize we don't know the story yet. And let's not be so quick. I think... You see that with social media a lot, but like we're all suddenly the, the journalist on the ground and we all feel this need to like, did I share? Did I tell this? Did, did you know yet? Maybe yeah. I'm the one that broke it to you. Yeah. 
Um, and, and meanwhile, the watchers are are looking to those moments for answers, not 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 curiosity, not like I'm waiting for the rest of the story, but truly answers. I want to reference a book that I can't remember. Yeah. That I just listened to. That's fantastic. <laughs> but I need. I'm like the name is just not coming to me. So give me two seconds while I look that up. But. Um, this is another edit point. Yeah, edit point. So you'll seamlessly recommend this book. This book. In the the best part is, I think we'll leave these moments in. And oh, <laughs> it'll be great. People will love them. The philosophical edit, really. <laughs> uh, how do I see the ones I just saw at library? At least, um, "Amusing Ourselves to Death" hmm. by Neil Postman. I listened to this on the plane. I want to listen to it again. It was written in 1985. It is mostly about cable news, and it is more relevant today than ever. And it is wow, eighty five. So this this was even like just like the genesis of CNN. This was this was right at the beginning of all this. Yeah, and it came up. I'm trying to remember now. I think Ryan Holiday recommended it in an interview. I listened to him in, and he's the guy that does Daily Stoic. Super curious about stoicism, but like barely dipping my toe into that. (laughs) Um, And I think that was one he recommended, and I. I was like, all right, all the books he was, I think it was him recommending him to Joe Rogan. And all of the books he recommended, I'm like, wait, what is, wait, what is that? What is mm-hmm. that? Um, uh, I think Ryan Holiday is an interesting one to follow, but he, yeah, he recommended this book. And so even in 85, 85, we knew something was amiss. And I love like thinking about 1984 and like, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know, we could look it up, but I don't know when CNN started, but that, uh, you know, I've, I've heard numerous uh, podcasts and read some books that say that was really the, the 20, genesis of the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. No longer, you know, was it about the 6 p.m. news and getting the, you know, the most important and the most vetted stories out. And, yeah. and you had 24 hours to, to, to suss your story out and, yeah, so you get and all that. Breaking news, and it's interesting that you say, you know, that's the notification we get. That's yeah. the thing that jars us out of bed because we're hearing the sound on our phone that's like, yeah. go, respond to this thing, yeah. feel something. And we get the, you know, the dopamine probably from hearing the ding of the, the breaking news. And I, there, there's a great bit in this in this book. And of course, I'm going to butcher the actual quotes around it. But like, how does that information change your day? And I don't mean change your emotions about the day or your feelings or the way you're reflecting on the thing that happened. But how does it change the way that you would have, like, what would you have done in a day and how does hearing about breaking news change the way that you actually live that day? Wow. Because it absolutely does. I mean, it absolutely does. In... But it also doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the point in the book is like, you're still going to go to work that day. Mm-hmm. You're still going to make breakfast. And the, like super hyper local news will impact the way you actually live go out your, your day. day. Right? Sure. Like. West Seattle Bridge is closed. I guess I'm not going to drive that direction. I'm going to let soon, wait. Noel. Too yeah. soon. Too soon. <laughs> I'm going to let ways tell me which direction is the <laughs> fastest to get to there. Whatever. But like, most news is just information that doesn't actually impact us personally. But also, I get what you're saying, which well, is that it yeah. does impact us on the macro scale. I think yeah. that like the I think I think it that type of interaction with the news and with information I think is the direct cause of the of the ridiculous uh, dynamic we have between people now where you know it's it's all about in the moment it's all about like you know your perception of, of and your answer uh, 
everyone's an expert now mm. and they're an expert in the moment even having never heard of this thing before like that kind of thing like our our conversations and our way of processing the world I think has totally changed as a, as a result of like yes. um, hundreds and thousands and millions of the, these types of uh, moments you're right on the day to day though or I should say maybe the author is right like mm-hmm. absolutely otherwise it's just on your day to day it's just information overload in one ear and out the other quick reflection on my point versus an author's point and I've, I've heard this a few different places recently mm. but like there are no original ideas oh yeah so as much as like this is totally something i got from this book he got it from something else very true and i get to adopt it at some point to be a perspective i have i love that just i love just, i love that as a, as a general rule of life actually <laughs> yeah i mean i still want to try to credit where i heard an idea sure. because i find the like the whole yeah, you know, you know about like the or like memes. I think Richard Dawkins came up with that idea, yeah. and it's like yeah, yeah, right, yeah. like the idea that mental ideas, like ha- like they're their own virus and they want to live, has nothing to do with, like we just, we we propagate them or we push them along, but like they have their own their own existence or raison d'être or whatever, and like, I don't know, like. The, the fact that they live without, like, it doesn't matter who came up with it. Right. I also want to credit the people who came up with it and find that path. Because but... maybe there's a lineage back yeah. to something interesting. No, I think that's a, that's a great point. We all do our own processing and synthesis, yes. I think I want a cider right now. And I, <laughs> I'm going to just yes. not Get pause anything. Cider. Do you want anything else? Are I you am good? good right now. Okay. I, sounds nice. Um, it's nice, nice for the throat, too. Yeah, and it's just, it's, yeah. Two Town Cider House, yes. not a sponsor of the podcast. No, not yet. Not yet. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yep. So the sound will be interesting to watch. Pop. Yep. A little, a little ASMR for our for our listeners. Uh, that could be a whole a whole conversation. <laughs> I uh, we've talked about this a lot. My attention span terrible for podcasts, YouTube videos. Like I'm just now. I think as the hairs get grayer, like I think my attention span is like slowly getting to this point where um, I'm appreciating more of these. But uh, so I, I have very few YouTube subscriptions. But one of them is this guy who walks around Japan oh. with binaural microphones on. You sent me a link, I think, to him being on on Being, maybe. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't think no? so. Not this guy, anyway. Okay, then I'm. Anyway, this sounds very familiar. But it. it uh, basically, he just walks around cities in Japan with this microphone on, and the microphone is actually like inserted in his ears. And so, the way the microphone records is an exact replication of how his ears are picking it up. And therefore, when you put your own headphones in and you listen to it, it sounds like you're surrounded by the environment. And I don't know if it's this ASMR thing. I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is, but that I find to be the most relaxing, the most reflective. Like, I get into this very strange sort of flow state just cool. listening to like a city around me and like oh my gosh and it's him like so he'll wild. say hi to people right like he'll say hi he'll well and he'll uh he'll allow sort of the um environment to just you know sort of take over in a way i've i know i'm familiar with this person i've read an <laughs> article about them or something but uh that sounds so cool yeah uh, just a surprising uh discovery in my life it's I'm remembering you sent me it was an on being episode um, where the person recording would go and walk in nature, mm. but it wasn't oh, Japan. Yes. It was like yes, walking yes, through yes. the forest, and that 
Very similar concept. Yes, this guy was um, right. He was a biologist, as I remember. Mm-hmm. But that's right. That he um, he 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 found it extraordinarily important to preserve. Um, like we preserve national parks, it yeah. is also important to preserve the actual sort of like audio environment, which is now being totally disturbed, even in these you know protected parks and everything. That's right. Yeah, that's. <gasps> oh, that was a cool one. Um, I'm going to jump for a moment. Do it. Because before we started recording, I was going to tell you about my Inktober experience. Yes. And um, I, I mean, I'm hoping in general with whatever this turns into that we're able to just talk about people's creative outlets and what's inspiring them right now. With the idea, I've been listening to a lot of conversations recently with Rick Rubin, and he says this, and a lot of people he's been interviewed by kind of join on in on this, but that we're all just kind of like antennas, in, sorry, antennas receptors to these ideas. I mean, it kind of goes back actually to the Richard Dawkins and mm-hmm. like ideas memes mm-hmm. concept of like things flow through us, where they come from. Maybe that, like going back to the spiritual conversation, that connectedness, that there's something that we're all attuned to mm-hmm. and we don't necessarily have words for it. We don't understand it on like a scientific level, but we know it exists and we know that there's this creative inspiration and sometimes things just happen. And so like as a, a writer, I write poetry and kind of always have, I always feel like whatever that is, I don't sit and think about what I'm going to write. It just comes through me. And sometimes really good things come through and sometimes it's shit and I don't know. And that's probably because I didn't really let it happen. But but you feel very much it's derived from, you know. I don't uh, premeditate what these things yeah. are going to be. Um, there's, I mean, there's a bigger conversation around free will and the randomness mm-hmm. of synapses, synapses firing. And like, I, I don't know where it comes from, but I don't sit and go, I'm going to write a poem today and the words are going to rhyme and I'm going to talk about this. And sometimes the words... I don't know. They just they just come out, and then I'll stop and I'll go. Oh, I do need a word that has this sound to it or something, and I'll do a little research to find that word. But the but the vibe or the feeling behind it just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Inktober, so for those who don't know, Inktober is an annual challenge in October. Some cool artist you can go to Inktober.com, whatever, uh, came up with this concept that. Just the encouragement for people to sit down and draw daily. And there are official Inktober prompts. And I think maybe in 2020, because I'm like, all right, it's COVID. I'm sitting at home and unemployed. Like, <laughs> let's play around with this. Um, I think I may have started it. And then I kind of got discouraged and then went in some other routes and was like, let's do daily mandalas and let's do other things. So I was playing around with drawing and then got busy with the mom stuff, got busy with a new job and just sort of didn't tap into that for a while. And I just came back from a couple weeks on tour, basically beginning of October, saw some good friends starting to do their Inktober posts, um, had one tour mate who does a lot of like scene, scene sketches while he's traveling and wherever he is, they just sort of like, here's what I see. Mm. And I was super inspired by seeing his work. Um, and yeah, so I was like, I'm going to do Inktober. Like, why not? And I'm either home and doing it, or if I'm traveling and doing it, maybe I play around with some of these like sketches, which have actually been really a cool way to experience spaces. So, um, so I started doing it and I was probably on like day five when I had this, like, 
this really deep, like, oh, wait, I'm a writer. And I like, and I have a lot of insecurities around my drawing. And I don't, I feel like my drawing, and this is, these are just stories, but I feel like it all looks like a child's like doodles. Mm. And, it, you know, it looks like shit. So I want, I had this urge to write something with the words that conveyed what I felt like I couldn't get across. And I'm tying this in because you said something about, oh, the soundscape, right? Like, like the idea of wanting to record the soundscape. And I'm, it started becoming this inspiration to me and it's kind of taken a few forms, but it's like, it's super visceral. But when I, I draw a thing and whatever the drawing looks like, I'm, I'm doing these sketches very quickly. Mm -hmm. They tend to, you know, less than 30 minutes for sure. Like I'm not spending forever on them. And I'm not, they're all in pen and I'm not erasing things. It's just, it is what it is. Um, and then I'm writing a little reflection on it. And those are, again, things I'm not really going back and editing except for like, oh, I actually typed that wrong kind of stuff. But I'm trying to convey and it's through like a wish. So I'm, my writing prompt is like, I wish you could smell the smells, taste the tastes flavors whatever um you know hear the sounds like i wish you could have this full experience that i'm trying to convey in this drawing that i think mm. is shit mm. it's basically like the, the prompt for me and it's been interesting because it came i don't know where it came from and it's been i've had pretty good reception to it like people who figured it out and it's you lovely. know small community of people that follow me on the few social media places whatever it's not you know i'm not out there out there but like I, you know, I, I wrote one that was definitely like the, it, they're all in second person. So I wish you, mm. and, uh, some have had a more meaningful audience. So like there was, there've been a couple that have been very much like focused towards my mom. That's mm. like, I wish you could experience this thing. Like I have one that, um, the word was ponytail. And I thought of my niece who's nine and like how she's the only one of the three nieces who has hair long enough to put in a ponytail. And so that inspired me to go like, okay, I'm going to kind of like find a picture of her. And of course she doesn't have a ponytail when she's dancing, but I found this picture of her with her arm flailed up and I had fun kind of like sketching that out. And then it was a whole like, I wish you could have seen her dance recital and that you could see that she was actually, I mean, this aren't exact words, but like she was kind of terrible in the dance recital, but that's not her, <laughs> her gift is like, she's got her own beat and she does her own thing. And like when you watch her in her, in her flow play state, she's making up worlds and like she's oh, her creative wow. imagination is so powerful. And like, I know my mom would have loved that. And so it, yes, yeah, sometimes it's been like a specific audience and other times it's like this super universal, like I wish any of you, anyone who ever reads this could have this could experience. experience, this moment or this, yeah. Feeling. And, and it's me. And then I had, I had one, one day that was pretty profound where I was in New York for work uh, a couple last week. And I was in this, um, oh, I forget the name of it. Anyway, this park that might go away, it may be developed. And so there's a whole like save this park thing happening. But you go in and it's like this garden and uh, Elizabeth something, Elizabeth something park. Um, you go in this, there's this garden, there's all these statues and this like architecture around it. And I, I went there to eat a bagel and do my little New York tourist as thing, you do. Yep. as you do. And I was like, oh, I got to come back here and I got to sketch something here. And so I came back with that intention and I had my coffee and it was a little chilly, so it was hot coffee. And I was like, I'm going to wait till there's a seat that opens and whatever seat it is, that's my view. And I'm going to sit there and I'm just going to sketch. And I started sketching and it was, it was actually a very, it's a very busy scene. 
like a lot of layers and stuff. So the sketches, I'm imagining, you know, benches and people and trees. Benches and, and people and trees and buildings behind and, it and bushes and so many like layers of statues. Sure. Like one, like a pot in front of me and then this like, you know, sort of Roman goddess looking thing over here and then like a, a lion is over, whatever. It was just a lot going on. But the the best part for me was sitting back and while I'm physically doing this thing that's taking my brain and very meditative, right? Which is partly why I'm like, oh, I got to keep doing this. This is good for my brain. Um, <laughs> I was just listening and absorbing what was happening around me. So when I finished the drawing, then I did the writing piece. And the writing ended up being this super like overheard New York thing of like, there's brunch happening and there's a first date. And the guy that sat next to me at one point had this super awkward, obviously going through a breakup conversation. <laughs> and like... Like, yeah. got hung up on. and then Your ears twitching towards, uh -huh. towards I'm like, it. Yeah. what is happening? I'm just going to let it happen. I'm going to listen and just let it happen. And then later, like, they switched out. And there was this woman. And she's wearing this orange checkered tracksuit while she's reading a book. And there's this, you know, it's like it just all of the things happening. So your senses, as you sketch, become more attuned and more aware yeah. and more uh, tapped into the energy around you and everything. Just and that, while the pen sort of flowing on paper because really yeah. your, your goal it seems like on, on the paper is largely to sketch the scene it doesn't even yeah. sound like you're doing you know many creative departures from that like you know it's truly about sketching the scene yeah but by doing that you're absorbing sort of all these other things yeah and does the writing uh does your writing prompt then appear to you from the universe somewhere does it come from a you know a, like a object you see does it you know what what where, where do you think the the, the the writing prompt then comes from in that such a great question i don't know just i happens. mean right like yeah. yeah i i think it just happens um i think sometimes i there have been a few prompts that i've been very uninspired by and then i'm like i'm gonna wait until the inspiration comes and mm. it doesn't have to be that day mm. it's okay if it's a day or two late no you'll, you'll go back to your prior sketches and put the writing to it okay uh even actually even for the sketch mm. i'm not attached to okay and that's a, that's a thing i had to let go of with a lot of these types of challenges is the thought that like do i have to do a thing every day in order for it to be successful mm. or can i do a thing as often as i can because I think there's, and this, I mean, you can apply this to everything, right? This could be meditation or working out or whatever that good habit is you're trying to form. There's a mindset that if you fail once, you failed the whole thing and so you should just give up. And I feel like in recent years, I've been able to like maintain some pretty healthy habits for me that work for me. And it is by no means because I do them every day. And it's letting go of, and I think a lot of my like 20s and early 30s were like, oh, I've got this thing, I'm mm -hmm. doing this thing. And then once I fail, I feel like I've failed and I have to give up. And almost certainly it's the way to get rid of the habit completely. Yeah. Like it's you step away from it at that point. Yeah. yeah. And and I, I don't, I mean, you know, there are other people out there who have all the language around this who are life coaches and whatnot. So I don't. Hopefully those we will interview on, on a future <laughs> podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's, it's I, I do, you know, it's creating the habit, creating the rule. I can think of different people I've, you know, anyway, Atomic Habits. And I like how um, one of the podcasts I really like, The Knowledge Project, Shane Parrish, Parrish, he talks about creating rules for things. And he got that from someone that he interviewed. So mm -hmm. it's not even his thought, probably. <laughs> but, you know, like, 
creating a just rule. to reinforce that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he created a, like he created a rule, or like he will create, a, or people will sometimes create a rule around a thing, like just a rule like I don't eat desserts, versus I'm going to try not to eat dessert mm-hmm. tonight, right? And I will say first and foremost, I love dessert and I will eat dessert, but I have other things that I've done to be like, okay, here's my parameters or my discipline or my restrictions or whatever. But then within the space where I want to enjoy life, I'm going to enjoy life. Yeah, and it's, lovely. and it's, I've made it work for me. It took me, you know, 40 years or whatever to get there, 30, 38, whatever it was. And anyway, I found patterns that work for me and I feel like that's for everyone. They need to figure out what works for them, but it's, it's ha- it's it's conversations around yeah habits, but like, how do you, how do you not equate failing at a habit for a day to failing at it forever? Absolutely. Like I'm yeah. not, you know, it's like some people need to work out every day, or they will feel like they are going to stop and never work out again. Some people, and I'm one of those. Like I can usually, if I sort of have a, an intention of most days. I can most days do it, and I can have a day or two where I'm like, you know what, it's just not happening today. And and in the meantime, you've eliminated this sense of, of failure, failure and like yeah. the, all the nastiness that sort of comes with that and the pressure that comes with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's for me a lot of it's the it's like a mental averaging out. Like if I can average out that I did a thing more than I didn't, or I did it enough that it made a difference yeah, in my lovely. life. But I know that that's not that's hard, and and everyone's brain works differently to get there. I, I mean, I, I, I have been trying recently to build um, any habit around sort of the creative process around, mm-hmm. um, you know, for I think any anyone that is going to listen to this in the near term knows I just came off of a, a five months cancer treatment. I was diagnosed with cancer in May and that was a huge shock to my life and our life and this just my whole worldview and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had been laid off from my job and we had, we were about to embark on this whole project of moving to Vashon Island and la da da and that we had set that aside. And so it was this really interesting time where almost at the point that I got this, this diagnosis, a lot of the other signals in my life also Mm. faded away. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways it could have made for, um, not, not not unlike a lot of the messages about COVID, it was almost like there was almost this pressure about mm. like, oh, this is the time I'm going to learn how to bake sourdough bread right. or whatever. This right. is the time I'm going to do all this reflection. And spoiler alert, just like COVID, didn't turn out that way for most of us. And right. I found a good way to not pressure myself around that and like really focus on my treatment. But one of the things that that really emerged from it is I started a blog and it was not super active and it was not like... I don't um, think I know about this blog, which is great. I love that. Ryan.brules.com. There you so, go. Anyway. Um, and it was just a place for me to, to A, share with friends and family about what was going on. B, it was uh, an activity that just helped take me out of the, the you know, out of the, mm-hmm. the moment. and or, or, no, I should say really put me into the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe out of my uh, anxiety yeah. about the whole situation. But, but every time uh, that I would sit down to write, and it was really like, you know, it was almost like a travel log of the journey through cancer or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, um, uh, very sort of real. But every time I would sit down to write, it, it just, there's a flow to it. And it was so meditative and so relaxing. And so 
um, uh, if not helpful for me to process, because again, it was really more, it was less philosophical and more of a travelogue. It certainly helped me put the whole journey into perspective a little bit. Mm. And so, uh, not all that much time went by when then people were reaching out and saying, Ryan, I love your writing and I want you to do more. And I could, I could, I want you to sort of like, you know, I want you to narrate other parts of your life or go write stories or something like that. Mm. And, and, and even Esther the other day, um, I wrote, we were coming back from my last, uh, visit from my treatment in DC. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, you just opened your iPad and knocked out one of these posts and I just saw you like disappear into it for two hours of the flight or something. It was clear that you were you're into it, into it. Yeah. And, and that's exactly right. And so I know there's something there and I know I feel like this, this like, uh, like I know that putting my fingers to the keyboard and making things happen, like feels like something that's important to me. Yes. And yet when I try to think of it as a habit, nothing happens. Like I cannot <laughs> even that. start. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm married to uh, a writer and, and I, someone that I have learned uh, so much about writing from and she's got of course all, all the advice it's not about you know writing something it's not about writing for people it's not it's really about just writing and yeah. I feel that and I yeah. get it and I sit down and nothing <laughs> do you feel like oh I'm trying to think about how to how to frame this question but do you feel like the fact that it was coming from this cancer scare space the fact that like you were probably thinking more about your own mortality and all yes. of that. Do you think that that brought you closer to being able to tap into something? It's almost like it gave me like an agenda. I, I don't know. It's like it gave me a framework to write about because I could, I could sort of wash it away as, oh, well, I'm updating my friends and family and stuff like that. Maybe it took the pressure off of, mm. of writing, and, uh, you know, because, oh, I'm just updating my friends and family. But then I was able to like expound once I was sort of into it. Right. And maybe I don't have that same crutch, if mm. you will. Like I don't have a reason to write now, which I know it's like totally not the point to have a reason to write, but that's, I think I had a reason to write that is now not as prominent. I had a lot of, um, poems and reflections and things come out of me during COVID and my mom's health related things and then her death that I've and I'm it's interesting hearing you kind of have that reflection too like part of me wonders if sometimes having that closeness to something that's so grave kind of gives you like this like I gotta do something with this energy mm. like it's you're like you're, you're so close to something that's so sad and hard and challenging that you're like oh, I just need mm. to process something but you're right that it also just gives you this framework and then maybe a new perspective and not not to like I, that that might sound weird to some people but like there's inspiration and like I haven't dealt Absolutely. with my mom's death before let's yeah. talk about it this is novel yeah this is novel <laughs> exactly the novelty of yeah you know and Absolutely. I and, and like I recognize that I'm a younger like being you know 42 like I am a younger person to have lost both of their parents. Yeah. Um, again, due to age gaps and not like some right. tragic young death thing. And that's a different thing to process. But um, yeah, there's like, I, I wonder how much of that is novelty. And it's also though, I felt like there was a gift that I was given 
and feeling like I could, from a pretty healthy place, like process their deaths. Um, that hopefully I want to be like a resource as people go through their own shit. Mm. To, to be one of those people that's like, I get it. Grief sucks. And I want to be able to be there for people when they're grieving. Um, and not, you know, we don't have to like dwell in it. it. It's not about being sad all the time. But it, I mean, a lot of it is people are so afraid of death in our culture um, I think about that a lot. Like we don't talk about it. Yeah. We don't. We don't, and therefore we don't give the resources and the and the and the and the shoulder that people need when they're going through grief. Right. That there's almost yeah. a, a question mark of like, well, what do, what do I do with this? Like, yeah. oh, cool. I'm just gonna sit with it. It's scary and it's overwhelming, and we think it has to be sad. And I've actually found that in grief, in grief, and when you're processing it in what I think is like the right way, which is super open, and mm. like, let's just talk about it. Let's, mm. yeah, my mom died. Let's talk about it. Like, mm. who is she to me? And, and 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 even getting into the kind of the nitty gritty of it, like she wanted, you know. Anyway, like the the way that the you know like a traditional Catholic service with mm. an open cas- casket and all of that, and like I was, it was really weird. Picking out her outfit and deciding if she needed underwear or not. Does she? Wow. That's wow. weird because I don't actually personally, when I see a body that's been embalmed, I don't think that body is that person anymore. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like whatever Same. spiritual or not spiritual belief you come from, like to me that is just, it's it's a weird tradition to me. But I wanted to respect her beliefs around it and like that's not something I talk about a whole lot. But also I think we should talk about it. Totally. Like, because it, it makes for, for, first of all, there's millions <laughs> of people who are probably going through that same yes. moment who all are probably like thinking, oh, this is so weird. And we're cult- we're sort of cultured to believe it, that we're also the only person going through it. Yeah. You know? And so we're all gonna... even just hearing, I don't think I'll run into that. I can't think of anyone <laughs> in my family that is going to ask for that. But yeah. there is somebody out there. And if they do hear stories like that, of course, like, even... they're, they're going to think, oh, and even if they this want, is weird right? to a lot of people. Yeah, and if they want to be cremated, where are you sprinkling their ashes and do they care? And, you know, are you going to have a weird moment where you sprinkle them and then go back in your face? Because it happens in the movies, but it could happen <laughs> in real life. Like, just, I don't know, just being able to talk about that process and not have it necessarily have to be a heavy, sad, you know, super whatever part of life. But, like, it's universal. And we yeah, all go through it. It's um, lovely. I feel like all I'm doing is plugging other podcasts, but Anderson Cooper <laughs> recently came out with... Oh my gosh. Have his, you listened to it? Uh, so I listened to the one with um, Stephen Colbert, <sighs> which was, I was you know in the car driving actually to my last blood test that yeah. I had to do here and and was listening to that and, you know... The way it is, I think, right? Uh, I think like that's that? right. Yeah. With, like that. yeah. yeah. And, and effectively, it's Anderson Cooper going through basically cleaning out his mom's house really uh, yeah. yeah absolutely oh my gosh i mean i had so many feelings coming out of that i mean mostly like thank you for sharing was yeah. you know was the prominent one like yeah. you had these two in, in this one with colbert. stephen colbert like um it was two men two uh famous successful you mm-hmm. know men who carry i'm sure all the same baggage that 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 men do sharing their grief able to like share it vulnerably anderson cooper tears throughout much of it and i i just remember feeling this feeling of like 
thank you of gratitude of like wow like two two men finally that you know are showing that it is actually okay to have these conversations and to feel these feels i'm trying to remember the name of another podcast so colbert amazing heart-wrenching no no this is where we can edit edit yeah i'm (laughs) i'm not gonna i can't remember it right now but there's there's another grief related podcast that this guy who lost his like he basically had twins and one died and one didn't in birth because of some genetic thing. And he has a Colbert episode. And wow. it was the first time I heard Colbert's story about his life and grief and losing his father and brothers and like when he was pretty young. Um, and it was also super powerful. And then I got to hear it again through the Anderson Cooper interview. And that's what I love about finding these themes in podcasts mm-hmm. and being able to like revisit the same person's story, but how they tell it slightly differently to more than one person. It but, really, it really rounds out, you know, their their perspective on 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 these things. Yeah, and he this this other podcaster, which at some point I'll figure out which one that was. Um, he uh, he also was in a film that Molly Shannon directed, and Molly Shannon has her own grief story, and is one of the people that Anderson Cooper interviews. Anyway, isn't like, it absurd though? Like, I mean, so even just in the small little microcosm that like, and yet we all. Yeah. Very much take grief alone, at least in our culture. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we very much take grief as this personal journey. Sometimes we share it with our our Close family, but people. also sometimes you don't because yeah. you don't want to put more of a burden on them. Yeah. It's it's completely wild. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. How can we reframe grief as not a burden? Because I feel like when there's an invitation that like we're all going to experience this. Yeah. And like, how can it not feel like a burden because we're all there and we're able to support each other and come in as a community and and not not let people feel alone in their grief that's one of my just that's something i want to that sounds like you want to do with you know yeah with with some of your own all the growth you've done you want to sort of like now share this and and be able to help others through this yeah i mean i feel like i was really well supported in my grief i feel like i had good resources and good people to be able to process with and it still was really hard but that's something like when you're when you're able to just take that step back and recognize how hard it is and wonder like how could we be doing this better as a culture as a community this is helping me even reframe uh one of the things that i realized going through this uh this cancer um so again, May 13th, I got my diagnosis. This is no joke. I got my diagnosis while walking home from a beer with some friends on Alki Beach because I opened up my, it was a notification on my phone that yep. my medical records had been updated. Holy shit moment. I think this woman walking her Pomeranian like saw me break down in the middle of the sidewalk like crazy. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I realized really quickly, um, if you if you don't basically get on the track of your doctor says it's this your doctor recommends this treatment you're going to go through with that treatment starting a week from now if you step off that track it's like you fall off a cliff like Mm. at that point you have no resources no help no no one that can say even when the doctor says like Oh sure, you're absolutely. You can go get a second opinion. What the hell does that mean? I don't. What does a second opinion mean? Do I just call up a doctor and say I want a second opinion? Like, is that is it that simple? Is right. it you know what are my other alternative treatments? Things like that. So you know, one of the things that I've 
I've thought about is how to help support people going through that because mm-hmm. I was able through both a whole lot of serendipity and and you know my own sort of capabilities of research and things like that to get on this like crazy clinical trial that's not yeah. advertised and it's been you know very successful for me but I never would have known about that had those serendipitous moments not happened. I certainly would not have found it even just by Googling like alternative cancer treatments or something. And so why, why, why do we deprive people? And I think this is true of every medical major medical condition out there. Why do we deprive people of the information and the um, support necessary to get them the care that is best for them? It's it. It's so, it was so maddening and I felt the whole way through just like how, how lucky I was, but that so many other people just had to get on the track because they didn't know anything better and they probably went through things that weren't right for them. And imagine going through that with someone who has cognitive issues, who's not remembering the diagnosis that was even given to them. And who's blind. And I say this, I mean, I know my mom was a special case, but but like she's not alone in no. being a, a a case that, and I say case from like a medical perspective, because yeah. it's kind of how they view people, right? Yeah. But like she had, if my brother and I had not been able to go to appointments and advocate for her, and I mean, I got feisty on some appointments. I was actually, I told a colleague this story recently, her dad is going through a kidney related thing and I was like oh let's talk kidney stuff because my mom and dialysis mm-hmm. we literally went to a surgery appointment like an inpatient surgery like she had surgery planned where she was getting uh, I forget the exact name of it but basically the port on her arm that where they re they redirect the veins so that dialysis can work through her arm. Mm. And it's like taking, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this from a medical point of view, but like, it's pretty awesome. I joked with her, I'm like, you're a robot now. Cause this would not have happened without technology. Right. Like totally. you are now a robot and this cool thing happens. Totally. But there's a lot of potential side effects and all this stuff. So, but it's surgery. And I went and took her to the surgery and I took a day off work. I was still employed at the time. It was earlier in the, the experience. And she, we went in and got this far in the process that she was in the gown. She was like, oh, I'm cold. I don't remember why I'm here. All of that sort of like traumatic experiences that would have happened with her at that point in her life. We're sitting there. She's on the bed. She's got like, you know, they've started to mark her arm and all this stuff. And literally the anesthesiologist and the surgeon came in to the room to debate if they should go through with this procedure because my mom had had a minor stroke within the last six months. And from a statistical point of view, the anesthesiologist didn't have this information somehow until this point in the process. Oh my gosh. And we debated if this could kill her. And I'm like, part of me was in awe of like, this is kind of cool actually. There's a surgeon and an anesthesiologist who have their different inputs of information from science, trying to figure out- That they're bringing right here. Here's some stats. Here's some this. The surgeon's like, we got to do this because she might need dialysis tomorrow, and so we should do this now. And the anesthesiologist is like, we should give her another like six weeks to heal from the whatever the stroke might have done to her body, from like the circulatory whatever anesthesia does to your body. It was fascinating, and we went home 
And she didn't have the surgery until, like, another, like, six weeks later or something. And, like, none of that would have happened probably in that... I think I gave that information of, like, well, she did have a stroke. Oh, my gosh. That information wasn't in her charts somehow. Wow. And this is where, like, technology and communication and, like, I I don't know. I've heard that there are some companies out there... This came up, actually, at your little group gathering that you had. Mm-hmm. Um I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he said that he was, this was something he was working on. But like, there are potentially people who are trying to figure this out. Like, how do these systems talk to each other? Mm-hmm. How does the assisted living place never knew unless I handed them the piece of paper that said, here's what oh she needs? Yeah, and even I then, mean, does it get translated to the nurse that's actually going to exactly. come and like administer the thing? It's, it's this, it's this nexus of technology because of course we have the technology to make that information transfer streamlined, but that's when you bring in it's the politics and it's the regulations that yeah, keep HIPAA the technology like way in the dark ages, and that that's true even at some of the best medical centers in the world. And then it's the, the I don't know, just the humanity of it. Like sometimes you just know things about yourself or your mom in this case, like yeah. you know that just have to come up in, in those moments. But there's no one, um, there's no one that was prompting that out of you or even encouraging the right questions to ask right you were bringing those out of instinct you were bringing those out of like oh maybe i should mention that my mom had a stroke or you know what have you and just how yeah i i'm a big believer in having a an advocate and i'm wondering this goes into like like you know boomers are going to continue to age yes and we're all going to continue to age and the importance of a like nuclear family partnership and all that has shifted and there's a lot more people I know who probably will never get married and might never have mm-hmm. kids and like if we're expecting that kids and partners need to be those people to do that that's not necessarily going to be reality and how do we make sure that no one's left in these situations where there are just no one's there to advocate for them and I think like oh there's such an opportunity there like it's yeah. just it just becomes this like this adjunct community that you know of people that have been through these experiences before and can speak because you can't you know and this is the hard part you can't obviously in those settings offer medical advice you can't Mm -hmm. say oh you absolutely should get that surgery right like you can't you can't go to that point but you can certainly encourage people to ask the right questions and and help them bring the right information to settings like that and there's just to my knowledge and i did the research on this there's nothing out there that meets that bar is between you and your doctor and whoever else happens to be in the room even my brother and i switching appointments that we take my mom to if i didn't put the right notes in the google doc that he might reference before an appointment he might not know the right things to bring up and then also do you read any, I mean, this is just learning styles, but like, did you read the notes? Right. And did you understand what I meant? When what I wrote if you the had notes? a busy day and you didn't, you only skimmed them on the way in or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And we were pretty good. I mean, we both have a little bit of that like project management background, but we would like <laughs> call each other sure. before appointments and be like, hey, let me sure. make sure you're, you remember all the things that happened at the last appointment I took her to or vice versa. But, but again, it speaks to some, you know, in some ways, some of the privilege of like, that's how you guys are wired and you have that relationship with each other for these, for these patients that, don't have the family systems they don't have an advocate they don't have a family member that's with them you know or maybe just dropping them off at the hospital yeah it it, it's oh (laughs) (laughs) you know i've heard this before and i think it's 
the refrigerator has it's, decided to make an appearance. Yeah, the fridge must be on a circuit that just doesn't like it sometimes. <laughs> I've heard that about every other day-ish, maybe, but only if I'm here for it. I don't, I don't know why it's... It's unnerving a little bit, yeah. <laughs> really creepy. <laughs> kind of thought that something might bomb us, but yeah, we're good. We're good. We're going to survive r- r- this. R- r- yeah. Well, so I think that's, uh, I mean, that's... This conversation has helped me think in a different way about like, you know, because I, I have been feeling like called, as it sounds like you have too, to somehow use these powers for good. Like I do, I genuinely see this, this cancer as as a gift in this weird way Mm. but i don't want to let that gift go to waste it has given me this perspective on mortality and like in in a way that you said it earlier we're all gonna die we all need to face our mortality any one of us can go at any day Mm -hmm. but we never face that Mm -hmm. we never we never even really think about that we're not encouraged to think that and Mm -hmm. i i have been given this gift of at least i can incorporate it into my worldview now but i don't want that gift to go to waste i I don't want others to to you know to to have to go through the ambiguity that i experienced you know i yeah let's keep these this conversation going and maybe someone besides just scott will listen to this (laughs) and can uh, who's our favorite listener yes our favorite listener and future contributor (laughs) um uh yeah no it's i mean it's 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 huge and i I've mentioned it kind of briefly to people. I actually, uh, a Burning Man campmate that I know who's local recently, I, I saw her a couple nights ago and she was feeling called into like hospice work. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I, I know someone else also in the burner community, go figure, who's feeling into like, or yeah, feeling called into like a death doula type of position. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, everyone talks about birth doulas there for a while. I know a lot of people, more people are talking about death doulas. So, like, how do we help people, you know, gracefully transition, but also, like, yes to that, and how do we navigate the healthcare system, assisted mm-hmm. living, retirement homes, all of that. All the transitions in between. Yeah, and, and these systems don't talk to each other. That was the biggest lesson, I think, that we learned, is they don't talk to each other. And it's it's stupid. <laughs> like it's Literally on your shoulders yeah and like it just there should be an app there should be technology we are at that point in our culture it should exist and or or even in the pre because again that i'm uh, that i understand right now the wall of technology because of the regulations is going to be a hard one i Mm -hmm. startups have come and gone by the hundreds trying to solve problems like this but they keep running their heads into regulations i get that even having someone you know that can like help you through that trend those transitions like making sure that you bring the right information you ask the right questions something like that seems like a low-tech way to to make a big difference and you know again it's maybe it's still probably through an app of sorts or something like that who knows but it's it's accessible in some way yeah i mean there there i feel like there's a human element there where it could be through an app but also having and it's not just a caseworker no i feel like the problem with caseworkers is they don't they don't have the time to go deep on someone's medical history uh, and frankly even touching some of the emotional spaces yeah. that, that 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 this goes through you know and that's where like the word doula whatever yeah. that's a loaded word i'm sure it means different things to different people but um from my experience of hearing people talk about both birth and death doulas it's really about like how do you support the people going through that mm-hmm. experience 
Yeah. Ugh. Huge. Well, is that is, is this our is this our transition out? I it don't know. It feels like a stopping I'm, point. Yeah, it I feels feel, like a, a a stopping point. I feel yeah, I feel like we covered a lot. Um, I'm curious about where these conversations could go. I'm curious what Scott and potentially other people, if someone is listening to this besides Scott Consinity, <laughs> please <laughs> send us a note. Yeah, uh, just you know. The I like the intention of this being super unstructured mm-hmm. and being a free flow of conversation. Um, I really don't care who listens or doesn't listen to this, but maybe people connect with it. Uh, I love that we will bring in other voices and you know that will contribute to this. And I mean, I'm I'm already sensing that this will probably create more conversation topics than you know. Uh, what will be yeah. on our, our, our very unstructured list as it is. But... I need to interview your wife. You need to interview my brother. Like they're, And that's just like the next steps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, um, I know this has been the culmination of something that we've talked about like forever. Years. Forever. Uh, it feels very fun. Even in this like first, what would we, what would we say? Shitty, shitty first draft. Yeah, whatever. shitty first draft. Uh, feels very very fun, very very flow uh, in some yeah. ways. So at least yeah. for me, how how do you feel? Totally. Uh, <laughs> I was worried I would get nervous and Same. pause too long and worry about what I was going to say. But and I feel like the first few seconds there was a little bit of that. At yeah. least in me, I definitely felt like uh, oh, I'm 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 like uh, I'm trying to have this like scripted conversation until I finally just. Yeah, and I think I mean we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but like the goal is to really be authentic and. Um, that's a theme I've been listening to and hearing a lot um, in life, but especially I've been, so with my current job, a lot of people who want phone-free experiences are comedians. And so I've been listening to a lot of comedy-related podcasts and interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was actually Bill Burr saying this on Tim Ferriss, but um, this idea that like, actually, no, I've heard, anyway, I've heard a few of them say it. It's It's a theme. It's not just him. But like this idea in comedy where they all were like, let's go be a comedian. Let's roll up our sleeves three quarters of the way and let's go do the thing. And like, did you know, Hmm. you know, like a little like Seinfeld, you know, like whoever you were trying to emulate at that point. And at the end of the day, a good comedian comes back to who they are when they're shooting the shit with their friends because that's their authentic self. And that's where the comedy really lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts on comedy. We can get there at a, mm. on a future conversation, but like, I really think they're kind of modern day philosophers and that the more authentic that they can be, the more they can tap into like what we're all experiencing as humans and find funny or awkward or painful and then figure out like why we had that response, whether mm. we laughed or didn't to a joke. Um, but yeah, like the better, like Bill Burr talks about the better, you know, he did all, he did all the things that you're supposed to do and went to all the open mics and got his, his five and his his 10 and his, yeah. And at some point it was really coming back to like, who was he when he was sitting around shooting the show with his friends? And I'm, that really left an impact on me because I feel like that's not just in the space of comedy, but that's true of any art. Like how can you create your thing and be just really true to whatever it is that's tapping through you? And you're not worried about what people think. Or that you're doing it the right way. Yeah, or, or the profitable way, mm-hmm. the marketable way. At the end, the authenticity, the vulnerability is what resonates with people and what, yeah. what connects. And that's true when I, ha- when I hear a good, I mean, that's the reason I went on this Rick Rubin 
interview rabbit hole recently was like I I heard I heard authenticity in the way he was speaking and I'm like mm. for someone who's of that caliber in the industry to be able to speak so groundedly and just not give a fuck about a lot of things but really about the art and about the process and then I went back and intentionally listened to all these like pivotal interviews and that resonated. I was like, he's that person consistently through these interviews. Mm. And I think he gave that back almost as a gift to the people interviewing him. Like they all, I think, were more authentic in the way they interviewed him because they're like, oh, yeah, we're not going to talk about. And then this other celebrity did this. <laughs> and then, you know, like the things yeah, that. I mean, I'm imagining you even heard the conversation dynamic like change mid interview as, 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 as oh, he, he was being more authentic. Like a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's so grounded in the way he communicates that there's no sense of like like there's truly kind of an egoless experience there and we can talk about death of the ego and some other things <laughs> in other oh, conversations yeah, that's a good one. but like ah yeah it made it that actually was part of what i mean i was listening to some of these conversations and i was like fuck i want to do this yeah i love you know? making that a pillar yeah, yeah something that we always show up with cool all right well I don't know how to sign we, off. Yeah, I don't know how do podcasters <laughs> sign off. I mean, you know, stay tuned for some special messages. I yeah, <laughs> they usually just launch right into the, like, and then yeah. from this sponsor, let's talk about this. But yeah. I, I would, I think I would like, uh, as we get into this, is like we we do like, because we talk about a ton of podcasts and books, like we just keep a, a list for people to go find. Yeah, like our, the, you know, the, the episode notes or whatever. Totally. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool because even I want to go, I'm going to like ask you after this, like, oh, what was that podcast you were talking about? Yeah, so. and, the, and the things I couldn't remember in the moment that I'm like, <laughs> I know I can find that <laughs> exactly. later. I just don't yes, want to exactly. be distracted by my phone right now. Came uh, of my life. Yeah. Well, so thank you. Yeah, was, thank you. Yeah. And um, we'll see you next time. Sounds good. All right.